Welcome back, everyone. This is episode four of the Low Left Podcast with me, Brett Bass, the host, the guy who either uh, rambles or types haphazardly and then publishes it on Substack so that all three of you can uh, view my content, listen to it, uh, and then pretend like you hadn't and cleanse yourself with a very stiff drink to blot the entire thing out of your memory. So anyway, uh, the last few podcast episodes, we've opened with uh, a discussion about the Russo-Ukrainian war. And in the previous episode, I talked about the asymmetry between the fact that Russia has engaged in a campaign of military aggression <clears throat> and the United States and the West have largely avoided doing anything militarily and instead responded economically with uh, sanctions. And there's a strange asymmetry between those those two things. So Built, going back to that theme of uh, Western response, today I'd like to talk about one of the challenging things about discussing the use of Russo-Ukrainian war is that my perception uh, in, in combing my social media feeds and scrolling through uh, headlines has led me to believe that there's a not insignificant chunk of people in the United States that are essentially laundering world events through really trashy soap opera level takes on domestic partisan politics here in America. So as an example of this, uh, pulling up a headline over here, um, any wonder why Putin didn't invade when Trump was president? Okay, um, let's see, here's another one. Trump ties to Kremlin possibly related to timing of Russian invasion, question mark. Okay. From both the wings of the political left and the political right, uh, there are some really bad takes. And... A lot of this looks like a degree of sort of cultural narcissism, as I perceive it, that we can't examine an event on the basis of simply being the event, is we have to view everything through this lens of partisan tribal warfare. So it's interesting. Kevin Williamson at National Review at one point described his perspective on uh, politics in the United States as being a ritualized form of generally nonviolent uh, tribal conflict. And I thought that was an interesting take. I, I find Williamson an interesting thinker, uh, an unorthodox and, and, and eccentric one, but one whose work I rather enjoy. And I don't think his take is completely unfounded. Now, I don't believe that I agree with it in a literal sense, but I think that it maps onto a lot of things. I think it's explicative. It helps explain a lot of how strange and distorted the experience in 2022 has become. So when I say this, I, I want to preface by saying like the reason that I think there's something to this and the reason that I think I would describe this as like a, a social narcissism is hubristic. I was reading a piece in which a a reporter was discussing that in the 1990s, early 1990s, immediately after fall of the Berlin Wall and uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union, he and a bunch of his friends from college 
sort of spur of the moment decided they were going to travel to Eastern Europe, which had not been previously something that was easily done, and see the sites and take things in. And they did so. And they traveled through part of Ukraine, through Poland, uh, I believe through Estonia, and eventually uh, wound up going all the way into Russia itself. And while doing this, uh, the, the author found himself quite taken with the, the people and the country and stayed there for quite some time working as a, a journalist. And in discussing one of his articles with the host family that was, was uh, housing him at the time, the uh, patriarch of the family basically said, you just don't get it. Like your, your work isn't going to latch on the way you want it to because you don't understand our people. And in sort of examining that, it was viewed through the lens that like, well, we're now in the sort of uh, Fukuyama end of history lens, wherein countries with McDonald's don't fight each other. And everyone basically agrees in the same thing. And uh, everyone more or less wants the same stuff. And that it just isn't true though. But our perspective as Americans who won the Cold War is that now everyone's going to want to revel in the same sorts of things that we do. And this just doesn't appreciate the historical context, the cultural norms, and the longstanding traditions of different people in different places. And if you zoom really far out, then yeah, people all want the same thing in that they, they don't want to get killed by bears or uh, punched in the face on Wednesday or whatever it is. But th these are really sort of vacuous. And the more substantive details are often quite different from society to society. We believe that everyone wants the same sorts of things that we do because our affluence and the degree to which we have access to everything and our wealth and our access to markets and our material plenty has really isolated us from a lot. And instead of viewing uh, the world as the world is, we have rested on our laurels. And I think that a lot of people who don't leave the United States to experience other parts of the world authentically, maybe they do like the glamour trip and they, they see Paris or something. It's sort of the Disneyland version that caters to tourists often from the United States, but without really appreciating like how people genuinely live in other parts of the world, there's this perspective that everyone basically lives the same as we do. We more or less write it off and we have turned inwards in a real sense. We view our society and how we organize ourselves as the primary motive factor for how the world works. And this is wrong. This is entirely wrong. And it's as I said earlier a couple of times now, it's socially narcissistic because it delegitimizes the agency of everyone else. And there's, there's an interesting hypothesis out here that like conspiracy theorism is attractive to certain groups of people uh, by virtue of the fact that it makes the real world, which is often like very chaotic and unpredictable uh, into something explicable and solvable. So the example of this that's the, the 
nearest and dearest to me is with 9-11 trutherism. So uh, one of my childhood friends that I grew up in the same block with when I uh, was a kid, eventually, by the time he wound up in his early 20s, like falling, he fell deeply into 9-11 trutherism. And it, all of it, you know, like it, it's impossible that the Pentagon could have failed to see uh, barely literate cavemen um, hiding in Tora Bora, planning an attack, and uh, fire can't melt steel beams, and George W. Bush had to have known about the whole thing, and et cetera. And that, that really poisoned the friendship and made it tenuous, and eventually we, we, we're not estranged, we just sort of fell out of contact. And um, even though he reached out to me several years later and said, like, hey, I really apologize, I kind of fell into this weird hole and um, sort of polluted the way I interact with everybody else. And it was, it was really great, and we were able to you know, catch up and reconcile briefly. Uh, it, it was the case that like the, the friendship itself was never quite the same that it was. And so with that, like this is the part that affects me. Having read about this in a couple of different places now, um, there's the hypothesis that goes something like this. like The idea that a group of people that you've never heard of before, in this case the Taliban, uh, could partner with a group of genuinely violent people who are motivated by priorities which are mutually exclusive and often entirely alien to yours is really hard to comprehend. But the things that you interact with routinely are much more comprehensible. And there's a degree of uh, comfort associated with the idea that, well, of course George Bush was behind it because this provides an obvious solution. And the obvious pat solution is impeach uh, and convict George Bush, and we will have then solved that problem. As opposed to the more complicated part of the dawning realization that there is an ascendant Wahhabist um, movement funding international jihadist terrorism that is religiously motivated and uh, politically uh, malicious toward Western aims and American culture. And this is going to require an incredible investment of time, blood, and treasure in order to combat, to prevent future attacks, which might also uh, lead to policies with sprawling second and third order consequences, which have like serious negative things. We don't know what to do. And like, is the TSA a good idea? And why is it that you know, 22 years later, we're still taking our shoes off in the airport in the United States and having people get their belts x-rayed and everything. Like, that's an interesting way to think about it. And I think there's something there. Because the dealing with uncertainty aspect of it is really off-putting. No one likes to work in gray space. Well, I'll put it that very few people prefer to work in gray space. Like my, uh, my full-time employer, uh, really does select for people that are at least comfortable, if not uh, excellent at working in that environment, because a lot of what we do is uh, somewhat cutting edge and uh, a little bit nebulous. And sometimes uh, you have directives and little else to figure out where you're going to go and how you're going to get there. That said, most people don't like that degree of uncertainty and ambiguity and dealing with an uncertain, chaotic world that is larger and more complex than an individual person can deal with is really hard. 
and instead focusing on the familiar things that maybe you didn't even like in the first place, maybe, um, and mapping solutions onto those is quite a bit more cognitively uh, familiar. It's, it's a way of substituting comprehensible solutions onto an often inscrutable and very challenging world that is unpredictable. I think there's something to that. And I think that there are a lot of other factors with how America in particular, and I think Western society more generally, uh, has adapted over the last few decades that have exacerbated this tendency to look inward. I, I think that there's something to the idea that the way um, algorithms within social media work will amplify things that uh, solicit more reactions from people. I, I think there's something to the fact that people are more likely to react to something if they're unhappy. And as a result, the echo chambers that we construct for ourselves electronically through social media are reflective of negative impulses, which are often mapped onto the familiar thing, which is domestic partisan politics. And if you look at polling data, the, the two polarities, the, the political right and the political left in the United States have gotten much further apart. And because they're much further apart and the, the perspectives of each are more and more alien to each other, it's easier and easier to view them as the inscrutable, chaotic, and unpredictable other. So we, we have a series of mechanisms in place, which unintentionally, I hope, um, exacerbate that tendency. And because people are more likely to react to something negatively, they're more likely to react negatively to something they're familiar with. There are a series of built-in uh, implicit incentives that get people more excised about things that are happening close to them. It's easier to see. This, this is why issues that should be local are always mapped onto national stuff because all the ways that our media propagates itself, social media or conventional, uh, wants to amplify things to mass audiences. People are more likely to respond if they're angry, et cetera. And so there's this feedback loop of, of negativity that reinforces and artificially selects for partisan tribal things, which are more likely to generate clicks that are more likely to get content that are more likely to have advertisers pay to support them, et cetera. And I, I think that this is concerning. This is worrying, but the fallout for this, when it comes to international affairs and geopolitics is that huge swaths of the population appear to be incapable of dealing with serious world events on their own merits and instead insist upon making them be about their preferred domestic tribal things instead. And I think this is deeply frustrating and it makes it really challenging to find where to start talking about this because I was inspired to do this podcast series because I wanted to find a way to express my thoughts about what was happening in Ukraine and talk about uh, Russian military actions. But instead of being able to do so, everything turns into some sort of 
monologue by a particularly um, invested partisan actor. The, the first time I posted something to social media about Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the very first comment that I received was from somebody talking about the Freedom Convoy. It was wild. This is totally unrelated. This is not a connected topic. It is a, a red herring at best. And the explanation that I was given was, it's more important to keep your eyes inwards. This is a distraction. And that is wild to me. It's like, first, not keeping your eyes inward. This was about an event that was taking place in Canada at the time. I'm an American. Like, this is, this is something that is taking place outside of our borders. And yeah, it's noteworthy and it's interesting in its own right, but it deserves to be talked about in its own right. As does, like, the largest land war in Europe that's taken place since World War II. And the, the inability for people to calculate severity speaks to um, what I've recently learned is actually called being innumerate as opposed to numerically illiterate, the synonyms for each other. But people that don't comprehend scale and can't calculate risk and are unable to look at anything that doesn't immediately comport to something they're already comfortable with and then engage with it on its own merits. Now, I'll say there's certain topics that I don't jump into because I'm just not well-read enough about them to have a particularly well-informed opinion. And in, a, in the event I'm, I'm sharing drinks with somebody at a bar and the topic comes up, I'm happy to discuss them. But with the caveats that, like, I'm not an expert on this, um, and this is simply what I think based on the information that I've been presented. And I'm, I'm happy to discuss that, debate it, et cetera, whatever, right? Um, but it's just weird to me that somebody would encounter a topic that they are demonstrating through their actions they're not particularly well-versed on, but instead of either scrolling along and ignoring it, they have to then encourage people to talk about the other thing they prefer to talk about, which is nutty to me. So there's a lot of like really bad take out there from both wings, both of the weird wings of, of the, the two main political polarities in the United States. And because I am, I'm generally speaking a political conservative, I am more familiar with the weirdness on the political right, but I have encountered some of it on the political left as well, uh, by virtue of the fact that I uh, work at an institution of higher learning. And so there's a lot of like really bad ideas uh, that have sort of insin insinuated themselves into both academia and uh, government in general. That said, like on the, the political right, there's this strange fixation that Vladimir Putin has no agency of his own, that the actions of the Russian state are somehow linked inexplicably to those of the American presidency. And that's crazy. Every government will, of course, act within the scope of incentive structures. They will do what they believe is in their rational self-interest. And they will make political or strategic decisions based on the, the, the standing of their rivals, their neighbors, etc. That is true. And so, like, at first blush for somebody that isn't thinking particularly critically about this, 
looking this through the lens of like, well, if Trump was still in office, uh, Putin wouldn't have invaded. There's like a directional accuracy with that, that like the bad guy is responding to something is a concept that has merit. But the idea that the only thing preventing Vladimir Putin from invading Russia was who the American president was, is just entirely wrongheaded. And it completely dismisses any and all of the inputs, outputs going on within the Russian calculus. It totally dismisses uh, the various policy shortcomings that the United States has had when it comes to dealing with Russia over the last couple of decades, etc. It doesn't take into account the internal perceptions that the Russian security apparatus has, many of which I, I don't believe are wrong-headed. Brief tangent on that. Inasmuch as I believe that Russia is the aggressor, Ukraine is the aggrieved party, and for the preservation of Western liberal democracy, uh, Russia needs to be defeated and Ukraine needs to win outright. I believe those things. Uh, I, I think I've been trying to elucidate some of why during this. I think it's also entirely fair to say that not all of the concerns that the Russian state has about its own security are unfounded. Uh, and without being able to look at how has American policy uh, toward Russia changed over the years, where are areas that we have misstepped that have informed the Russian decision-making process uh, over long spans of time and simply looking at like, okay, but for this exact four-year span, there was our preferred guy in office, and as a result, everything stems from there, it is a complete distortion of history. On the flip side of the coin, some of the bad, weird ideas coming from the opposite of the spectrum. And I will say there isn't a complete symmetry here. This is not a both sides-ism per se. Uh, it's unfortunately the case that the political right seems to have um, allowed the worst perspectives on this topic, uh, a very a wide amount of cultural cachet, and the worst ideas from the political left about the war in Ukraine uh, have really not received a significant amount of amplification. So that could be simply by virtue of the fact that I find myself on the political right most of the time, and as a consequence, I'm exposed to more of it. So there could be a selection bias here. But at least my perception as the, the limited person with the perspective that I hold consuming the media that I do. And I do make sure to, to try and get out of my comfort zone and consume quite a bit of left of center um, content as well, just because I, I want to be able to understand the other perspective, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. So with, with that caveat, though, I perceive that the political right uh, spends more time investing in public-facing versions of their bad arguments, whereas the bad arguments and the dumb hot takes from the political left don't seem to be particularly in vogue as it pertains to this specific topic anyway. So of them, uh, I have encountered things such as, um, well, because of the existence of the Azov Battalion, which does uh, just have unfortunate and unseemly connections to neo-Nazism, then uh, it is in fact the case that the Zelensky government is run by white supremacists, and as a consequence, it doesn't deserve defense. I think that that doesn't bear up to any sort of meaningful, rigorous scrutiny, but the fact that certain members of a state are unsympathetic does not make that state's, state's plight um, un, 
unworthy. So I think that's worth dismissing out of hand. But like the other part, like the identitarianism is it's just cloying, and it's it, it's infested almost everything with which I interact on a regular basis. But there's a widespread sort of under the surface um, aura of this within the circles in which I I work that. Well, Western civilization itself is devoid of merit and attempts to defend it uh, against encroachment by the Russians are not worthy of support by virtue of the fact that the entire thing is built on an edifice of vague white supremacy and colonialism and any number of other, just start sprinkling the magic buzzwords on it. And I think this is entirely wrong-headed, and I, I believe it deserves uh, scrutiny and repudiation. If the only thing that somebody takes away from Western civilization is that bad and unjustifiable things took place within it, uh, no society can stand up to that that philosophy. That lens is caustic and ruinous. Everything that came out of the Frankfurt School when it came to critical theories is explicitly uh, designed by its right, its authors to find things to criticize and just do so mercilessly. And the only thing it does is dissolve things. Deconstruction as part of the postmodernist project that sprang out of this and then combined with it again uh, in academia here in the United States in the 60s and the 70s, it, it, it exists just to tear things down. And it is done selectively in order to suppress perspectives that it doesn't like and amplify things that it does. It, it is all a ball of Marxist claptrap, and it deserves to be repudiated because it doesn't scan, stand up, and it doesn't provide any meaningful solutions, and it distorts everything. Western civilization has more to recommend it than simply the worst aspects thereof. And the inability to apply any degree of critical thinking or charity to this topic, because all the ideas are allegedly already known. We have all the answers. They're Gnostic. If you just hire the right consultants or find the correct people with the correct, uh, extremely niche, um, or quotes, expertise in some sort of grievance-related social study, then we can deliver all the knowledge to you. We don't even need to find the answers. It's crazy. And it is more insidious. And so the fact that it is not in the forefront right now is, I think, a welcome change of pace. Uh, the fact that it hasn't taken on the same degree of uh, notoriety as uh, what I perceive to be the uh, incorrect perspective of people like Tulsi Gabbard or the uh, actively crazy perspective of Tucker Carlson, I think that's all to the good that this hasn't managed to metastasize and forefront itself uh, within the political left as it pertains to this specific topic, I think is good. Uh, and I think it speaks to the fact that the majority of people on the political left are good and well-intentioned people who don't buy into it. And it tells me that the crazy activist class that genuinely believes these things is relatively small. So that's how I choose to believe it. Hey, I'm an eternal optimist. The glass is always half full. Heck, I'm happy there is a glass, right? It's just regrettable that I encounter so many perspectives that cannot view the Russo-Ukrainian war in any other light than how does this reflect on either 
current postmodernistic interpretations of uh, the political West and the decadent nonsense nature of American capitalism and why it deserves to collapse or some bullshit like that. Or you wind up with the bizarre conspiracy theorist right perspective um, or the idea that, ah, well, uh, it's really the fact that the domestic partisan policy, politic uh, priorities that I prefer would have prevented international actors with their own agency from doing bad things in a, a country half the world away, which is nonsense. It's utter nonsense. So I hope that, my dear listeners... Um, you can understand that while I, I'm not saying that there aren't responses to American policy that are, uh, part and partial with how other countries, including Russia, like choose to interact in the world stage. I am not saying that. And I think that the United States does deserve a healthy dose of, uh, scrutiny for how it has acted uh, both in real time, uh, as my previous episode, I, I lampooned the idea of sanctions as being ineffective and, and immoral, uh, with unpredictable second and third order consequences. I mean, interestingly, I just listened to an interview uh, with with um, Peter Sachs, I believe, who had an interesting perspective. He, he pointed out, like, the U.S. dollar on the global market can be viewed as a currency, etc., but it's also now gradually turning into a platform with terms of service. And that's caustic, isn't it? Like the idea that, yes, you can use U.S. dollars to pay for things and, and, and whatnot, but if you do things we don't like, then you don't have access to the money anymore. We're going to cut you out. It's, it's like the nebulous terms of service for a social media website like Twitter, wherein uh, they can ascertain that something is hate speech, but something else is not, and we wind up with this arbitrary thing. It, it turns a lot of people off. And whether or not you agree with those people doesn't change the fact that those people are turned off by it. And it may weaken the reserve currency status of the, the U.S. dollar, et cetera. So, hey, boom, check it out. Legitimate scrutiny and criticism for a uh, policy that is being enacted by the United States government. I think that that is entirely worthwhile. However, it is not worthwhile to decide that the entire thing was predicated on either the red team or the blue team being able to pull the levers of power that it wanted. I don't believe that that is legitimate because other people in other places with other priorities have agency over the things that we, they do. And it is not something that we as Americans have veto authority over by uh, the divine right of Kings to determine like what the social priorities of everyone on earth are going to be. Now, I believe it is incumbent upon us to defend our way of life intellectually, philosophically, and militarily if, if necessary. Uh, but at the same time, the hubris that we exhibit by our staggering incap incapacity to understand world events as world events and instead view them as reactions to things that have happened in the United States is wrongheaded. Like, there's also a degree of perspective laundering, which is related to this topic, which I think is also entirely worthy of immediate condemnation. So there are a number of like extremely contentious issues, some of which I mentioned earlier, I am not necessarily well read enough to about, about to put public facing opinions out there because I don't believe that it would be 
in my own interest. I don't believe it would do the topic itself justice, etc. But again, in an informal setting over a beer, I'm happy to have a conversation about it based on the information I have. But a lot of people have, instead of adopting that perspective, simply mapped a a priori position on some sort of contentious hot-button third-rail issue onto geopolitical events as a way of casting aspersions on the other side of it. Uh, and this leads to some like really nonsense hot takes like, well, at least Vladimir Putin knows which bathroom to use, which is just lunatic fringe shit, right? There's absolutely nothing whatsoever about Russia's invasion of Ukraine or its annexation of the Crimea in 2014, or the fact that it subverted a democratic election in Belarus recently, or the fact that it basically has veto authority over everything that happens in Syria. None of, none of Russia's bad actions have anything whatsoever to do with the topic of transgenderism and bathrooms in the United States, which is its own separate topic, which deserves to be discussed by people that are going to engage with the best arguments of the other side, because these are complex issues. The people that want to engage in those fronts have genuine concerns that need to be heard out. And then public policy can be calibrated to reflect things in line with the civil rights that are enumerated in our Bill of Rights, consummate with the Constitution of the United States and the founding principles laid forth in the Declaration of Independence. But instead of doing all of that, we're simply going to say that, well, Vladimir Putin's probably right because he agrees with me or we've decided that he agrees with me. Does he have a genuine perspective on this? I don't know. Probably not. The, the, the man's a former KGB agent. Everything he says is a lie, right? Whatever. But the other flip side of that coin is like, ah, well, you see, but those dastardly people on the other political team have said something. You know who else said it? Vladimir Putin. And this is the 21st century version of the, I think it's... Um, Oh, I forget the name of it, but it's the idea that whenever somebody brings up Hitler in a debate, the debate is effectively over. The same basic idea. It's stupid, it is vacuous, and it is a way of attempting to cast aspersions on something or launder an idea through something with greater reach as a way of avoiding substantive dialogue about that particular topic. And this does a tremendous disservice to everybody in this case. So... Let, let's look at uh, privately owned firearms. This is something near and dear to me, and I have uh, very strong opinions about this, which I believe are well supported due to my professional background and the amount of reading that I've done on this, right? And I think that one can make a case that the private ownership of firearms is a societal good in some circumstances for a variety of reasons with the acknowledgement that that also incurs certain costs, which are not beneficial in certain other circumstances. And so while I am predisposed to watch footage of Ukrainian civilians standing in line to volunteer for militia service and get handed an AKM um, and say, like, look at that, if the private citizens of Ukraine had had more indigenously owned firearms, um, then they would have been better prepared. That's not a particularly fulsome perspective. Uh, I am directionally aligned with that idea, and I think that we can take inspiration from looking at it and say that this is a problem that we would not have in the United States because we don't have to wait in line 
at a government checkpoint to be handed an AK by somebody that works for the army because you can simply go out as a private citizen and exercise your Second Amendment rights. I think there are ways to look at this. But anyway, um, what I'm getting at, though, is I can't look at what's happening in Ukraine and say, like, well, Vlad Putin wouldn't have invaded if, if they'd had the Second Amendment in Ukraine. That's nutty, right? Would it have been potentially something to take into account? Maybe, maybe not. But Vladimir Putin has made a habit of fighting uh, citizens' militias for the last decade plus. Like, who's he mostly fighting in Syria? As it turns out, it's not a standing army. So we can either view world events on their own merits and try to understand them and the people that have contributed to those events. Or we can keep doing what we're doing right now, which is mire ourselves inside of our own internal muck and just fail to get out of the mud or even fail to recognize that we are in some sort of quagmire in the first place. And we can navel gaze and we can do all of the bad argumentation where we can say like, ah, well, my preferred domestic policies are better than your domestic policies. And as a result, I point to this international event and use as a prop in my argument. And I think that there's every indication that we're probably going to continue doing that. And I think that it's worthy of condemnation. And I, I think that the other aspect of this is not only is it unseemly and kind of dumb, not only does it do a disservice to people wanting to discuss the domestic policy, not only does it do a disservice to people that want to discuss the international policy, I mean, it, it, I don't want to dance in, in blood here, but I don't believe that if you were to talk to somebody who was fortunate enough to escape from Mariupol and tell them like, oh man, like everything that's happened in Ukraine over there has provided really great fodder for my internet debates about um, women's sports. <laughs> I, I, if that person uh, punched you in the face, like, yeah, they'd be in the wrong because you shouldn't respond to uh, statements with violence. But at the same time, like, it'd be a comprehensible moment. I'd understand where it came from because it's incoherent. It's, in, it's crazy. That said, not only is all of that true, it's also the case that it will weaken us strategically because we will systematically fail to understand why other countries are doing things, and it will permanently hobble our ability to respond. Because unless we start looking at incentive structures and motivations and agency and hard versus soft power and understanding why it is that countries are doing what they're doing, or at least make an intelligent and concerted effort to do those things, if we don't do that, and we stay mired in the same stupid tar pit that we're in right now, in which everything is always about either uh, you know, Donald Trump or Joe Biden, as opposed to what is actually happening outside of our borders. It is only a matter of time before a malignant actor gets the drop on us and we pay serious costs. 9-11 took us by surprise, and 3,000 Americans died. There isn't a silver lining to that. I think that a lot of what followed afterwards has been a disaster. Uh, we failed in our commitment to prosecute the campaign 
in Afghanistan to suppress the ability for the Taliban to continue offensive operations against the American homeland. We gave up on that. We did so by dishonoring our commitments to our NATO allies, whom we uh, asked to help us in this endeavor. Huge numbers of Afghans who had briefly known some degree of individual liberty are going to be hideously oppressed again. I think that the security apparatus in the United States has gone bananas. Uh, I, I think that our permanent security state has serious uh, ramifications for civil liberties inside the United States. I think that in many areas it has inverted the relationship of citizen to government, and I think that's a problem. But if we're going to look for a silver lining, we can at least say, well, after 3,000 Americans were murdered on 9-11, at least it was the case that um, they didn't move an army in and occupy New York City. And if we are not muscular and engaged and informed about things that are happening outside of the United States, at some point, probably not soon, but on a long enough timeline, somebody who has the ability to seriously curtail our way of life is going to wind up in a position to be able to do just that. You know, the Japanese were able to attack Pearl Harbor because they got the jump on us. And they didn't occupy Japan. Or just, they, didn't, they didn't occupy Of course they did. They didn't occupy Hawaii. Um, they didn't launch an assault against the American uh, homeland. But it's not the case that we'll always be that lucky. Yes, having both the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans makes it challenging uh, to invade the United States. But the oceans will do nothing to prevent intercontinental ballistic missiles from reaching here. And with the rise in hypersonic missile technology, which can evade our interceptors that are arrayed along the, the north, we are vulnerable. We do have weaknesses. There are chinks in our armor. And the simple fact that we have lived as good as we have for as long as we have is a distortion. The, the plenty with which we are surrounded is a global exception and a historical anomaly. The fact that we live in a democratic republic in which people have agency is also not a historical norm. It is also not a contemporaneous one. I read a statistic the other day that only about one in five people on earth lives in a functioning democratic state. And of democratic states, the United States was the first one and possibly the only one that was created from whole cloth based on a series of ideas about defending individual civil liberties. Like the United States was built differently. Really passionate thinkers got together and suffered significantly during the American Revolution and made sure they painstakingly wrote everything down in order to ensure that our way of life would endure and that it meant something. And I believe that, that is special. And so when people talk about American exceptionalism, the exception is the fact that our government, our structures, our written constitution, our civil liberties were put together and articulated very carefully from the outset. They weren't shoehorned into something else. That's the exceptional thing. And yes, our affluence, our wealth, our natural resources, etc., are all well and good. 
but it's our ideas that make us unique. That's the exception. Historically, representative government is the exception and not the rule. That deserves to be defended, and it cannot be defended if we wind up in a society that is so self-indulgent that we stop paying attention to what is happening outside of our borders. We will not be able to have the debates about internal domestic policy if a foreign adversary has subverted our systems or conquered us. We have to be able to pay attention to what is happening outside of the United States. We need to be able to examine things that other states and other world leaders are doing soberly, intelligently, and honestly. And if we are permanently stuck staring at our own belly buttons and throwing poo at each other in Congress and as a culture, we are making ourselves vulnerable to the predations of outside actors that don't fit into our very narrow worldview, which is entirely held hostage by contemporary domestic American partisan nonsense. So part of why, like talking about the Russo-Ukrainian war is so hard is because there is so persistent an impulse for people to make this be about something else. And that isn't right. There are innocent people dying. There are brave men and women fighting for their very survival and for the continuation of their sovereign state. There are malicious actors that are working tirelessly to subvert all of that. And if our conversations are about something other than those things, if we're using them as a scapegoat or as a springboard to talk about things internal to us that we would rather discuss, we are doing all of those brave people a disservice. And we are doing so at the cost of our ability to defend our way of life on a long enough timeline. So the, the trick with wearing lenses is that they will distort light as they come into your eyes. And if you have bad eyesight like I do, wearing glasses will help those lenses make the world more clearly visible. But if we are using the wrong lens, the light that's distorted will skew everything. And that's something to think about. So that's what I've got for today's recording on the Russo-Ukrainian war and why it's challenging to talk about. Uh, we will return again and we will discuss a few other things in regards to this topic. Then after that, I, I do want to make sure that the, this, this podcast isn't only about this. This is just something that, of course, it's it's very high on my mental priorities list. It's up a lot of uh, real estate inside my mind. Uh, it is, in fact, living there rent-free. And I really want to be able to express my thoughts on this with, with other people um, and provide an outlet so that it's, it's better out than in, as I always say. But there are other things I do want to talk about. 
So after we're done with this series on the Russo-Ukrainian War, and I think there are probably um, two more parts in this that I want to do. Um, maybe just one. But there's at least one, one or two more of these that I'd like to do. After that, there are a few other things I'd like to talk about. So uh, one is going to be and this is going to be a radical, like wild, um, careening off into a different direction thing for every. So buckle up for, for some, uh, very sudden movements. You might get whiplash. I'd like to talk about the field of suicide prevention, uh, as, as a whole, like really high level overview of it. Some of the challenges about that space. Uh, I'd like to talk about, um, a few other things too that are even further afield than that. And of course, every now and then I'd like to talk about like the nerdy technical shit too. Uh, I've got some, some ideas about episodes I'd like to do about shooting and firearms and like skills development and whatnot. So anyway, this is a passion project of mine. I really thank you for uh, engaging with it. Uh, and hopefully the other things that we have to talk about will be at all interesting to you. Let me know if the topic changes are too sudden and too abrupt. I, I, I am sympathetic to the idea that maybe I should have sprinkled these out a little more, um, I guess, uh, diversely. So it's not just nothing but Ukraine and then other topics at random. Maybe setting this up a little bit better would have been more intelligent. But hey, I am an amateur. I am not paid to do this. You guys are not giving me anything other than your time. But... I do genuinely appreciate it. So thank you for hanging out with me for the last uh, roughly an hour or so. And we will be in touch in the future. So thanks.